back. We are with the Fastest Known Podcast. This is episode 92. In case you're wondering, we skipped last week. In this time of physical distancing and social intimacy, it's good to be talking with everybody. I really appreciate the community that we have around this podcast. And we're back with an exciting new FKT coming on the Long Trail in Vermont, set by Joe Stringbean McConaughey. Welcome, Stringbean. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Buzz. Well, you've been on before. You were back in episode 22. That was like two years ago when you set the FKT on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, my gosh. That was 45 days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And you also had an FKT on the Pacific Crest Trail. So you, you're you the long trail guy, no pun intended. And now you <laughs> just went uh, six minutes under five days on the long trail in Vermont. So congratulations. Thank you very much, Buzz. Thank you. Well, you've got a lot going on. So you've been living, I believe, in the East Coast for 10 years. Now you and your wife just moved to Seattle. You got out of the East and uh, you've kind of changed, uh, changed the shape of things. So before we get into the long trail, just catch us up here. What's going on? Yeah, life's been moving fast for uh, for a soon to be twenty nine year old. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's a kind of weird year with with everything going on. But my wife, uh, so Katie, she's going back to school to become a registered dietitian, and we've talked for a while now after being in Boston for ten years about trying to be closer to mountains, about trying to, you know, maybe having a, a less city based lifestyle and something that aligns a little bit more with uh with our interest in the outdoors you know we were spending two to three weekends every summer driving up to the white mountains in new hampshire which you know that three hour drive can can certainly add up so hopefully you know being in seattle um we just finished our our road trip slash move yesterday um will be will be a nice change of scenery um and yeah man it's been crazy like end of may we left our apartment and it's now june 24th i think uh and so i spent you know a few weeks social distancing to make sure that I could even have the opportunity to do the long trail um, with, uh, with the you know, different state orders in Vermont due to COVID. And then once I got the green light on that, ran the long trail. Once I finished the long trail, we uh, immediately packed up and got in a car and drove across country. So <laughs> life's been moving fast. And in addition to that, I'm also looking at some job changes where I'm, uh, where, um, I'm working full-time as a running coach, so ultra running coach mostly, and uh, also working with Andrew Skirka on his online planning course and, and guided trip curriculum. Wow. Okay. So this podcast will be longer than its normal 30 or 40 minutes because we got a lot to talk about. And of course, I could ask you about sleep deprivation, which you obviously <laughs> are extremely good at. <laughs> yeah. What was harder, the cross country, j j jumping in a car and driving as fast as you can across the country or, uh, or running the long trail? <laughs> well, My long trail time one by the way. Okay. All right. <laughs> and good for you for working for Andrew Skirka. He's been a guest on the podcast a couple times and you are extremely credible for that position. By the way, Andrew Skirka Adventures, you can Google that. Um, he leads guided trips and you are an assistant guide on those guided trips. Wow. All-star class there. Uh, Flying Brian is one of his assistant guides as well. I've been at a guide a couple times too. So good for you. And you're also working behind the scenes, managing his uh, programs, I think. So nice. You're making a good transition here. 
Yeah, it's kind of one of those kind of weird, uh, weird life moments where it's, you know, I love, I love being in the outdoors and the outdoor industry and, and running and ultra running. And hopefully there's a way to make all those things, all those things work out, but only time will tell. Right. Time indeed. Well, that's <laughs> one of our topics here. <laughs> and this is the first uh, long trail, big trail it is, to come down this year. With the pandemic, you know, the Grand Canyon shuts down, no rim to rim to rim. And the uh, Appalachian Trail Conservancy said, don't do it. Don't do a through hike. PCT said the same thing. They weren't issuing permits in the JMT. So it's been interesting in FKT land. People can go on the website and there's been a lot of stuff coming. You cannot believe we're getting buried with things. And it's mainly people creating their own adventure, right? Because yep. presumably they're respecting the COVID uh, protocols. So they're doing things fairly local and creating their own adventure and very interesting FKTs and very interesting routes, particularly from overseas. Western Europe has been popular, but you're, you, you've, yeah, I'm not sure if you've seen that, but yeah, Germany is. Yeah, Germany, Sweden in particular have been going bonkers. And so go to the website and, and see what's coming in. Because if someone ever wants to take a trip, you just go on the website and there's your bucket list, right? Wherever you want to go, there's the best routes in that area. But yours is the first of the classic trails. And uh, you were preceded by this all-star cast. You know, JB, Jonathan Basham still has the supported uh, record before him. Cave Dog, Ted Kaiser, and then you bested Jeff Garmier's time for unsupported or self-supported by one day. So that's a lot. You know, he squeaked under six days and you squeaked under five days. So you took a chunk off of that. And of course, Nikki Kimball for the women and Alyssa Godeski was one of our FKT of the year winners before them, Jennifer Farr Davis. So the long trail this is competitive. This is not low hanging fruit. Yeah, when I look at when I look at FKTs, you know, it's it's sort of like the cream of the crop. Of course, are the you know Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, um, but the Midlink FKTs, like the Colorado Trail, the Long Trail, the JMT, those are really really intriguing trails. And you know, I I actually attempted the Long Trail in 2015 and, and blew up <laughs> and and failed pretty badly. But uh, but. It's, you know, the long trail sort of being in Boston has been in my backyard and has been something that I really had wanted to take on for a while. Um, but what I you know partially love about it is it just does have that history. and It does have that you know, long list of, of very accomplished people um, who've had their own incredible adventures and, and nail biters. And, uh, you know, I think JB only took 46 um, minutes off of Cave Dog's time, which just shows you how crazy, you know, competitive and tight that record is. Actually, it was less. It was 29 minutes. 29 minutes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even harder. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. This this isn't, this isn't is a good point here because, you know, something's taking five days. You think, okay, whatever. You know, I'll go see a movie. Not quite. Like you're scrapping for minutes on stuff like this. It's It's full on for day in and day out. Yeah. It's a, it's a real wear on your body and on your mind. You know, I compare it to the to the Appalachian Trail because I did that in 2017 and I, I've even done the long trail right in the northern section the way that you kind of look at the long trail from a terrain perspective um, is it's a, it's a very challenging trail um, but it's sort of broken up into the southern 100 miles and the northern 170 miles the southern 100 miles is actually on the Appalachian Trail 
And AT hikers, you know, affectionately refer to this section as Vermud um, because it's just regarded as as pretty nasty trail, but um, but cool because you're seeing some nice mountains um, and very beautiful. But then the northern 170 miles is really where it gets rugged, and you know, AT through hikers who turn off really you miss you know the most epic the craziest the the most challenging terrain on that trail that really you know especially if you're trying to do an fkt it just beats you up it beats you up indeed this has been a theme on the fastest known podcast noting that out west colorado and certainly california as well all the trails were constructed by pack animals horses were the thing out here to some extent uh donkeys but back east no it wasn't any pack animals so we have big switchbacks. People might not be aware they were constructed for pack animals. That's what they like to do. But back east, eh, eh. so if you want to go up Mount Mansfield or Camelback, you're going up. You're starting at the bottom. You're going straight up. And so the vert per mile is deceptive. It's much steeper than it looks when averaged out. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, and actually, it's, uh, it's kind of funny to compare. Like the long trail averages uh about 265 uh vertical feet of gain per mile so you know every mile you're hitting 200 on average 265 feet per gain well on the john muir trail it's uh it's actually right around 200 slightly over 200 so you know you're looking at a 30 to 40 percent increase in vert per mile and the vert that you are seeing uh is is all rocks roots and uh and you know just straight up straight down gnarly east coast trails compared to the uh, the buffed out West. Right, that's a, even that's, that's a good, I like that metric, it's very uh, helpful, but it's also, even that is a little undersold. Because the GMT, every step of it's runnable. Because those, that 200, 205 uh, feet per mile gain is graded, it's kind of an even grade. While the 265 feet per mile on the LT, that's punchy. That could mean it's going up, three times as steep as that, and then down and then up again, and that averages out to that 265. So I think it's a hard 265. Yeah, it's so funny. Like I'm, and I was looking at my watch. I had this, I had this really nice Koros watch, which lasted almost the entire trek, um, which is just mind boggling that watches can do that. But I was looking at it and, you know, after the first 10 miles, I was like, oh my God, I'm averaging about 400 feet of, of elevation gain per mile. Um, I was like, that does not, that seems crazy. And so, uh, there's like two or three sections in the Northern part that are like five miles of easy terrain, flat terrain. And which means, you know, a few of the, the, the rest of the miles are even that much harder where it just is, it just feels like you're constantly going up or constantly going down. Uh, and there's, and there's almost no, uh, no respite from that. <laughs> Right. And then there's the Vermud part. I never heard that. That's a good one. I, I appreciate that one. And look at who came before you on this. You still took a day off it, but your background is, of course, just massive. And the uh, Appalachian Trail, that's a good example. I mean, you took almost a day off of Scott Jurek's time, but you did it unsupported, which means you uh, did this whole darn thing carrying everything on your back, including the sleep system. So let's just clarify this for the listeners. Supported, in my opinion, isn't that big of a deal for anything less than a half day, even up to a day. Okay, it's helpful. But as soon as you go overnight, it's massive. 
because that means you're carrying a tent, maybe, or a bivy sack, whatever it might be, and a sleeping bag or bivy sack. And you need to take care of yourself every step of the way, as well as carrying the weight of the food. So you went, you start, we're going to get into this in a sec, but you start off going unsupported, which is your style. And you're able to do many of the big trails faster than some of the ultra runners are going supported. So let's get into that a little bit here, string bean. This is, uh, Peter and I have talked about this. This is one of Peter and I's common themes has been on this podcast before. The through hikers out hike the runners once you go more than a week. Very, very interesting. So let's, let's delve into that a little bit. I think you obviously start off with a fairly lightweight pack. Yep. I started out with a pretty lightweight pack. My base weight was uh, about eight pounds. About a pound of that, uh, 13 ounces, was uh, me carrying rocks in memory of uh, eight black individuals who were murdered for police or from police or civilian brutality. Um, so I had you know, a pretty lightweight pack, but then I also had about 19 pounds of food that I was carrying uh, to get me through the entire, the entire trek. A base weight's everything minus worn weight and consumables. So it's like, uh, so any, so like food, water, um, you wouldn't count fuel in that if you were carrying a, uh, a canister. Um, and yeah, all my clothing didn't, didn't count in that as well. Gotcha. So eight pounds base weight. And that means my guessing for uh, five days, you didn't cook. Yeah, no stove. Um, it was just straight cold, uh, cold food that I just kind of muscled, muscled down and ate <laughs> and, uh, and in, in a lot of ways enjoyed because the food, you know, the food's a very fun part of it. You basically get to pig out as much as you, uh, as much as you want on something like this. Well, kind of as much as you want. You have to have carried it. That's true. You do have to carry it. You do feel it on your back. <laughs> you know, when you're going over Jay's Peak with, uh, with 26 pounds on your back, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I out here? But, uh, but yeah, the, um, the, the weight definitely beats you up. You know, I'm still recovering from, I have like scabs on my back. I, I still have a scar on my back from an infection on the AT that I got from my pack rubbing. Um, I even have, uh, I even have, um, some chafing that's still there, uh, in some hot spots on my ribs from where my, uh, you know, the Palanta pack that I have is a, it doesn't have a hip belt. So it just goes straight on the weights on your shoulders. Um, and so there's a, you know, my ribs even are hurting from, uh, from carrying the pack in addition to my shoulders, in addition to my back, upper back and lower back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Beats you up for many, many reasons. Yep. And one of them I'm noting, so, uh, you had, uh, that 19 pounds of food for two days, that doesn't come out uh, for five days. That comes out pretty low. Um, um, you said 9,000 calories per day, but that's still not much weight per day. So I'm guessing you had to have a very high fat content here because people get confused about this. They think sugar is much higher in caloric, but as you know, it's nine grams per ounce of, uh, of nine calories per ounce in terms of fat, and it's only four for carbohydrate or protein, so it's all over twice as much caloric density in fat as it is in carbohydrate. Yep, you got your stats down, Buzz. <laughs> I love geeking out about this subject. Um, yeah, the, the you know the nine nine pound per ounce in fat is uh, is hard to hard to pass up when you're doing something like the long trail. So you know, I was eating a lot of nuts, um, banana chips, plantain chips. 
Oreos, Pringles. I, I did want to incorporate a lot of carbohydrates because carbs are certainly important, but the, the other culprit for weight in food is water. So trying to figure out, you know, any food, get it in its driest form or, uh, or have the least amount of water weight with it. And you're sort of maximizing, you know, the, the 140 to 160 calories per ounce that you hope to average for your, uh, for the food that you're carrying. 140 to 160 calories, calories per, per ounce. Not per, wait, per, yeah, yeah, per ounce. Yep. And then my, yeah, yeah I was thinking yeah, per ounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's correct. Wow. And so a lot of nuts indeed. Wow. That's uh, and didn't cook any of it. So you had, uh, you have to have a strong digestive tract to manage. That. Yeah. It was <laughs> GI, GI problems are a discussion for a different podcast maybe, but, um, but no, the, the worst problem I had was I had this big throat issue that, so my throat got in, infected or something happened uh, later on in day two, which made it just very hard to eat um, for the remainder of the, of the trek. So especially nuts were really hard to eat, um, which was tough because I relied pretty heavily on nuts. And usually I, you know, I'm used to eating a, a pound to a pound and a half of trail mix per day um, on something like this. And, uh, it's just very, very hard to do that. Um, especially with the oils for the nuts. Like it, I ate a, you know, I ate an entire bag of Fritos and just like to totally love it, feel good. And then I'd try to eat, you know, one or two nuts and my throat would have this sort of searing pain. So I had a, I had a really hard time with that, but I, I figured out a little solution. I don't know if you, uh, do you, do you cold soak buzz? I have, yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So I took uh, the loose definition of cold soaking here. And uh, because I was having such a hard time eating, I would literally just put water in the food and then slurp it, slurp it down. So I had, I had like an entire bag of Oreos that I was having a hard time eating. And I just knew I was in a big caloric deficit on day four. So I poured in a bunch of water, mashed it up, and then made a little, I don't know if you could call it uh, a slurpee. And the piece de resistance was that I, I also had a half bag of almonds that I didn't want to eat that was already in the bag. So it was an almond Oreo slushy. <laughs> and I did that multiple times with different types of foods. Whoa, that's next level. So once again, you've one up me massively. <laughs> Cold soaking. I used to, I've done that with quick cooking rolled oats, dried fruit. Works great for that. Never tried it with Oreos. Oh, don't try it with Oreo. I would stick to the stick to the dried fruit. <laughs> it sounds like something I want to eat right now. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Cold soaked everything. I, oh, come to think of the only other time I've done is with ramen. Mm. You know, when, when I was in Tibet, you know, ramen's everywhere in Tibet. And, you know, sometimes you can't cook. So sometimes you cold soak those little packets of Chinese ramen. How do you do? Do you put that in a plastic but, bag or do you try to like, right. yeah, you do put it in a plastic bag. Right. Yeah. 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 You have to have a separate bag because it, the bag it comes in. It would not work. work. Yeah. If I was thinking, I was just imagining that. <laughs> That'd be messy. Okay. All right, Stringbean. You got me. Well, I, I should have said no. I don't <laughs> hold soak when you asked me that question. That's true. I'm, uh, <laughs> you're, I, it feels like I took you over to the dark side and, and put you in my camp <laughs> with the people who cold soak Oreos which and Fritos and uh, and what else did I do? I did a few other. Um, Fritos? Yeah, the Fritos were pretty wow. good. Although the problem with the Fritos was I ate, I cold soaked it and I ate half, half of this other bag of Fritos and then I uh, left it. And then the next day I went to eat the same Fritos and it just tasted miserable. Um, it tasted, it was so, it was so horrendous, but I had to, I had to scarf them down anyway for the calories. Wow. 
Okay, so this is how FKTs get done. I could have said, so how do FKTs get done? Now you're just telling us how they get done. You get scabs, you get blisters, you cold soak Fritos. Um, it's basically point A to point B, whatever it takes. And it's relentless forward motion, right? You got to keep moving at all times. That's why you didn't cook because that just takes time off. Uh, some of the fat ultra runners could probably beat you per mile, might be moving faster per mile, but in the classic tortoise versus the hare comparison, you're getting a lot more miles in per day simply because you're moving a lot more per day. Yep. Yeah. And when you look at some FKTs, it's actually pretty amazing. Like Jennifer Farr Davis and Heather Anderson, some long, long trails have been very closely contested with, with people who simply hike the entire time because they're putting in, you know, 18, 19 hours of hiking per day. And then you have someone, you know, somebody like Meltzer or Jurek um, who's running. And, and when you look at their miles per day, you're like, wow, it's actually not, you know, even though you're running and you have all this aid, it, the, it's weird that the miles don't work out that well. And it just kind of goes to show how, you know, speed on long trails is very, very hard to come by. Um, even if you're running a good smooth section, you know, maybe at best you're averaging four and a half miles an hour um, versus, you know, a hiker's three miles an hour. Um, and when you factor in some of the really tough sections, you know, that number even goes down. And when you're so therefore, when you know, if a hiker is out two or three more hours, it, it can actually make up the difference or get close. Right. Right. It's time spent moving in a forward direction. Peter Backwin and I discussed this quite a bit. And it's been on this podcast, which is after seven days, the through hikers are better. They're faster than the best ultra runners. Yeah, it's this weird, super weird thing. But that's why I love FKTs. You know, it's uh, it kind of started in two two different camps where it started from, hey, I'm a through hiker doing the AT and hopefully I can do it faster than anyone's done before. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, the ultra runners of the world who are like, oh, my God, you know, doing an FKT is a totally different type of adventure than a, than a staged race or a or organized race. And we're, you know, seeing those two ethoses and, and mindsets come into play with the self-supported and unsupported versus the um, supported attempts, which I just honestly love seeing because it's two incredible worlds colliding. Good point. It are, is two very different worlds because the fast runner is going to look at these numbers and go, eh, easy, I can do this. And I do the same thing. <laughs> and they get schooled. Yeah, I, I mean, I was even looking at the long trail and I was like, man, JB's time, like, four and a half days, that's, I think that's doable. And, uh, and, you know, day two on the long trail, in order to do that, I need to average 60 miles a day on the first three days. Day two on the long trail, I pour, pour, pour in a 46 mile day after, you know, 18, 19 hours on feet. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, that is not, <laughs> that's not in the cards. So it's so, de it's so deceptive because, you know, some of this mileage seems so short. Um, and, people often see miles the best metric for an fkt but really like a you know 46 i would com almost compare that 46 mile day to like a 65 mile day on an easier section of the of the at um you know still still a rough section like pennsylvania where you hit a lot of rocks and get some elevation but um that just relative challenge of what the trail you know gives to you uh can be so different based on the terrain Right. What? God, this is so interesting. I really enjoyed this. So let's go into two other aspects so people can learn your technique here. What was your sleep system? My sleep system, I had a uh, Mountain Laurel de Design, uh, um, uh, what is it called? Why am I, 
solo bivy, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, so basically like a very, very lightweight bivy under a pound. And then I had a poncho tarp. Um, I got hit with a rain, a pretty, pretty big storm for a long time on uh, day two. And so I knew the rain was coming. So I knew I needed water protection. So I had that poncho tarp. Um, and then I had a enlightened equipment, uh, 30 degree sleeping bag, no 40 degree quilt. Um, and quilts, another great weight saving technique for anyone who's listening, who's listening. Um, and then I also have a, uh, with my Palanta pack, it's a totally frameless bag. So you need some kind of back protection. So I have a Thermarest Z, um, pad that I use as my back protection that I've modified. So it essentially acts as like the barrier or the internal frame for my bag. And I would sleep with that. It got down to like the high thirties. It got pretty cold actually for a few days. So I was getting a little chilly at night, but I'd, um, you know, daylight is another, I think, un under recognized aspect of FKTs that allow you to cover a lot more ground. Um, I think Jeff Garmier did this in like late July. Um, I wanted to do it in June to try to maximize sunlight. So I would run the entire day through sunlight. I'd set up camp for 15 to 30 minutes, eat as much food as I could, pass out for two hours um, from nine to 11. I'd wake up, get out of camp by 1115, hike until and run until 2.30, fall asleep at three, get up at five, and then do the whole thing over again. Wow. I've never heard of that. So you didn't go for the one rest break. You went for multiple yeah, rest Yeah. And breaks. it was actually a last minute call too. I was talking with uh, Anish, so Heather Anderson, and she was like, yeah, dirt naps, you know, my best friend. So sleep deprivation is, and is a huge challenge on something like this. And I actually, you know, I've, I did one rest break on the PCT and AT. I still think that's a good solution for the AT and PCT, but, um, for the long trail, it worked out really well. Um, of just breaking up the night and helping me really focus on those night miles um, while still giving my body enough time to recover and, and be able to crank out as much as I could during the day. But then you had to get up at 1130 PM and get yeah. Out. And that was, uh, I literally the, the finish, the finish was crazy. Well, I don't want to ruin the finish because hopefully we'll, we'll delve into that. It was a <laughs> lot of fun, but uh, yeah, on the very last day I woke up and I sat there for 10 minutes and I was, you know, going through this weird fantasy and Katie and I, Katie's my wife, we were selling like camping gear and equipment outside of my bivy on the trail. And I'm, you know, spending 10, 15 minutes in this kind of fantasy world. And then I come to, and I'm like, wait a second, I'm literally eight miles from the finish. <laughs> and I spent, you know, 10, 15 minutes just kind of daydreaming about because I was just so out of it. Um, yeah. You know, so getting up when it's dark out like that requires a lot of willpower especially, you know, when it's high thirties, that was some of the harder nights on like night two and night three. And, uh, where you hit really pretty cold temperatures, especially for that time of year, uh, while you're trying to pack things up and be as efficient as possible because you just move so slowly. Wow. Cold soaked food. And then you had a pretty good sleep system though. That sounds fairly comfortable, but then I had never heard of that sleep regimen before. And Anish, of course, she is, I don't think there's anyone better than her at efficiency certainly you want to look her up on our website also. And the article that I think it was Backpacker Magazine called A Ghost Among Us. Did you I did, read that? yeah, yeah. It, that's, you got to read that article. But at any rate, so she's got good advice. And I, but I had never heard of a sleep regimen like this. Good for you. But something I've always done is go in early July or late June as well, because you're faster 
when it's light out. That's just how it goes. Absolutely. And you like another, yeah, there's just so many things that little things that you really don't think about, like even like battery, I had a battery issue, but you know, if I had an extra two hours or an hour of, of darkness each day, then I'd have to prepare extra battery power um, that I wouldn't be carrying. Otherwise, there's just all these little things that add up and uh, you know, just your, your, what you said, Buzz, like you just go slower when it's dark out. Yeah, emotionally a lot slower. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is amazing. We'll get to your finish here in a minute, but I wanted to go through a few more logistics. So on the self-supported, I mean, on the unsupported, you're going everything, all your food from start to finish. And obviously you can't do that with water. So you're picking up water along the way. What was your filtration yeah, system? Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, there's stories, Buzz. Um so my, I had a, a Sawyer micro, so a micro filter. So basically you screw it on top of a water bottle and you can just drink straight out of it. So I screwed on the Sawyer micro right. filter on top of my water bottle. I had double Sawyers for the Appalachian trail, but some, this is when you don't listen to the, to the haters. Somebody at some point laughed at me for having two Sawyer minis. So I have two water bottles on the front of my pack. And that's my hydration system. So I can drink from the water water bottles whenever I want. I have two different filters. So if one conks out, I have a backup. But for the long trail, I was like, it is kind of ridiculous. And you almost hit yourself in the face with these filters because they get up close to your cheek height. So I only brought one. Sure enough, day two, the O-ring, which is the, the thing that helps create a suction and create a vacuum for the water. So it allows you to have put water pressure. So it essentially allows you to like squeeze the water bottle to get water out of it. I lost it. So I'm going over Camel's Hump at about, uh, at about one in the morning and I unscrew my water bottle to switch the Sawyer filter to go to the other water bottle because I still have those two water bottles and I just rotate the Sawyer filter. And the O-ring, which is a little piece of plastic, just falls out. And I don't notice for at least a mile or two miles until I go to actually drink some of the water. And what that means is instead of using kind of air pressure to get water out, you have to suck through the Sawyer um, because it doesn't create that suction. And the Sawyer has a very well weak uh, flow. So when you're trying to suck out of this water bottle, you're getting you know, drops at a time. Um, and it's just very hard to drink water. And with three days left in my FKT attempt, I knew I was just honestly up. I don't know if you guys bleep stuff out, but I was up Shit's Creek basically. <laughs> um, cause I just, so, what so did I, you, do? you know, for a good half day or for a few hours, I ended up about an hour later, I crashed, you know, I kind of had a low point and just took a eight mile night section, which was the shortest section I did. Uh, night section I did. So I crashed at the shelter and a few hours into the next day, I was I was playing with all these different things that might uh, replace that. Cause it's really just a small circular piece of plastic. And I was like, if there's another small circular piece of plastic that can create a suction, then I'll solve my problem. But I, I, you know, I have very limited resources in my backpack. Nothing worked. I got so desperate. I took a leaf off a tree, punctured, punched a hole in it and tightened off my Sawyer around it to just see if it would work. And sure enough, a leaf solves the problem. <laughs> so if you, it's if you unbelievable. fold leaves over on themselves and you <laughs> puncture a hole and you twist it just right, uh, you can create that, that same vacuum um, using leaves. It doesn't work all, it probably worked about 70% of the time and there were only single use items. And if you ever unscrewed it, um, it would, it would remove the, the suction and you'd have to replace it with a new leaf. Um, 
which you do pretty often because, you know, once you squeeze a bottle, it really compresses and you have a hard time using it. So I can get maybe like a half squeeze out of a full 600 milliliter water bottle um, to drink from by using leaves. And I did that for the rest of the three days. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I mean, this, you're going full on, obviously hydration is critical and you're having trouble drinking safe water. Yep. And there were multiple times when I, uh, when I honestly thought about just drinking straight out of a stream, which sounds a lot easier and better to do on the West coast than on the East coast. <laughs> I was just like, don't do it, Joe, whatever you do, don't get Giardia, you know, a day, a day before you're supposed to finish. <laughs> well, with two days to go or a day to go, you could have done it. That's true. I could have. Yeah. We, uh, I shot you that email yesterday, which is, which is sad. Um, the uh the sort of knock on on my fkt was i i had to accept water from a hiker i didn't really had to accept it actually i just wasn't thinking but um with about it was a like it was that later that afternoon actually the the day after i'd lost my o-ring um the neck the following later in the following day i was going up near the lincoln gap near the breadlow mountain and uh there were two hikers and i just hit a really long section of water of a waterless ridgeline going over Mount Abraham. And I was like a little scarred by that because I was already having a hard time drinking and I was already dehydrated in addition to this leaf issue that I had. And I met two hikers and they were very nice. And they're, I was like, oh, are there any water sources coming up? And they're just like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> there are definitely none coming up. And I, uh, with, you know, they had extra water in their packs. They were getting off trail. And, uh, you know, I, I took the, the devil's bait and ended up actually accepting water from them only to realize that that, of course, tarnishes an, an unsupported FKT, making it a self-supported FKT. Right. And you were super honest about that. So let's stay with this a minute. Uh, just so for listeners know, by going unsupported, that means you're just on your own, but you can go into towns, you can buy food, things like that. It's just... Uh, I mean, it's for self-support. For unsupported, it's, it's start to finish except for water. So for self-support, which is the classic thru-hiker style, which it's almost impossible to do the ACT or the PCT without going self-supported, you go into town, you're buying food, you're shipping yourself food and picking it up at the post office. But for unsupported, no, it's start to finish everything but water. But I would like to note that I would not like to view this as being tarnished. I think you were very honest. You showed a lot of integrity and you divulged this immediately. And you're listed as self-supported on the website as opposed to unsupported. But personally, I think that's good. You did what you did and you acknowledged it. And uh, I think it's all good, Joe. Yeah, honestly, Bowser was really hard because when I, when I first announced it, I was, uh, I put, uh, I wrote on Instagram, unsupported, and I didn't even think about it. And I was going through and it was kind of like, well, no, if you accept water from someone, uh, then actually that is, that, that absolutely is accepting, you know, some kind of trail aid. The difference in trail aid, because it is nuance, um, you know, is that it's not some being self-supported, there shouldn't be any kind of organized or intentional aid or support that your average through hiker or average runner wouldn't get. Um, so it, it just feels, it's really sad that I, you know, that I ended up taking the water because honestly, I don't think I needed it. But, you know, I do, it is, it is a different kind of, uh, you know, once you introduce outside assistance or aid, uh, even, you know, something that is sort of a trail resource, um, you know, I think that 
absolutely should be acknowledged and, and mentioned. At the end of the day, you know, it took me a few days to be like, oh man, my ego feels like hurt because I really want the, like the unsupported just seems so much more pure and real and, and what I was going for. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's an awesome adventure. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, that's, that's just what it was. And, and I'm very, very happy with, with how things played out and, you know, wouldn't do it again. Uh, any other, well, I would do it again a different way, but you know, I'm, I'm totally happy with, with where things stand. Excellent. What good description. And speaking of the description, listeners who are enjoying this as much as I am should go to the website and read your description. You have a lovely day by day and context here. So go to fastestknowntime.com and on the homepage, it's latest FKTs. This will pop up or click on the top menu bar roots and type in long trail and you can read the whole history. Like we said, it's an all-star list of the long trail. Everyone has interesting stories or on the top menu bar, click on athletes and type in your name and see what you've done, which of course is a Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, Wicklow Round, and now this. So read up, further reading is available on the website. And at this point, it's a nice, well, let's just finish. I mean, you know what I'm going to ask you here in a minute. We're going to come back to something, yep. but let's finish this, this sucker up. I mean, <laughs> grief. I mean, this is this is absurd. Oh. I'm getting kind of worked with this conversation. I'm getting sort of tired. I think I need to go lay down after talking with you. So you start <laughs> off with cold soaking Oreos and Fritos and you're with, with mouth sores and you cleverly or Sorry, I'm being snide here. Not so cleverly went stupid light, as Skirka likes to say, and took only one water filter. So here you are going full on for five days and having trouble drinking water. And now your flashlight runs out of batteries. Oh, my God. So, yeah, backing up one second, I had my my I had a rechargeable battery. So you can't can't accept outside battery. But I had like a anchor hundred. uh MAH, I always forget what the term is. Um, so like two and a half full charges of battery left, which I was using for my phone and for my and for my headlamp. And sure enough, day one, you know, after I finished day one, I look at my battery charge on all my devices and I'm like, I am set for the rest of the long trail. I have more than enough battery charge to be able to make it through. Fast forward two days and I uh, and my headlamp dies um, way quicker than I expect it to. And I have very limited space left in my in my power bank, meaning, you know, I'm looking at the final push of the long trail, which will be at least one full overnight. Um, and I have 34% battery left on my phone. Um, and I don't have any battery left on my headlamp, which means I'm just going to have to be uh, at some point using my using my cell phone as my primary light source through the middle of the night and that was a really kind of sad moment but i was like at the very least i know 34 percent that's going to get me a really really long time i'll be able to crank uh crank and and hopefully cover a ton of ground um and coming in i had about like the morning of day four so about 24 hours before i finished i had about 70 miles left to go and i was like i can make it super far today and then I'll cra I'll either crash or I'll just go through the night and probably finish around like one to two a.m. And uh, as I'm making it through the day, I then go on to bonk. So 
Um, I get really lightheaded. I have a really hard time running downhill. That's when I had the Oreo slushy because I knew I was in a big caloric deficit. Um, and it's really nice terrain. The southern section of the long trail, like I said, is much, it's much nicer terrain. Um, it's, you know, there's some flat sections. It's a little more buffed out trail, but I was still covering a pretty slow pace and didn't cover as far as I wanted to. Um, I was having a hard time even jogging downhill. So if I was running more than 30 seconds downhill, I got kind of, I started to feel, feel bad and my heart would start racing too fast and uh, I'd just have to stop. And so going into that night, I was like, man, I'm, I don't know if I can finish, you know, in the, before the five day range, you know, I was expecting to finish around one or two in the morning, which would have put me, uh, four hours ahead of, of the five day mark. And I was going into it and I just knew I was experiencing pretty severe sleep deprivation and I was experiencing pretty severe a pretty severe caloric deficit and I just needed to recharge. So I took the, the decision to just take an extra hour nap from 9 to 10 p.m. Knowing that I would have about 16 miles to go on the on the long trail. So I'm there. I know it's so close. So at that point, I had th that's when I had 34% left on my battery. And I was like, 34%, can that get me through at least, you know, 16 miles? Okay, at the slowest pace, that's going to be eight hours. Maybe it'll be like six hours. And I was like, probably, probably not. But, but it'll at least get me pretty far. And whatever I'm, you know, whatever happens, I at the very least from 4 to 4.30 to 6.30 a.m., which I started at 6.30 a.m. So 6.30 a.m. was my, was my finish cutoff. Um, I was like, I know I have two extra hours of sunlight. So I have however long my phone will last. And then I have two hours of sunlight onto that for a maximum of six to eight hours that I need to finish. So I decided to take that rest so I could try to maximize time because the sun went down at nine o'clock. So I slept from nine to 10. I woke up, turned my phone on. And all of a sudden my phone battery, as people probably are familiar with jumps from 34 to 24%. <laughs> I'm like, Oh God, I just lost a third of my phone battery by simply turning it on and turning it off. Uh, and at that point, the light kind of hit in my, in my mind as like, okay, now I'm in race mode. Like I'm in like high like college. I ran a Boston, like Boston college cross country race mode. So I turn on my iPhone flashlight and I'm like, I'm running as damn far as I can with 24% battery. Uh, and I'm using an iPhone flashlight, so it's not great light, but I'm just like, at this point, just gunning it down the trail, doing the fastest night running I've done, recklessly kind of running through things. Uh, I'm lucky I'm not on the northern section of the trail because it is quite a bit better footing. Um, I have all my energy back that, you know, previous to my nap, I've lost. And I'm just doing way more running than I'd done, uh, you know, in, in the previous day or a few days almost, uh, sprinting down. And I go and see my phone battery go from 20%. 15%, 10%, 5%, 2%, and all of a sudden my phone battery dies. And at this point, I realized like whenever my phone battery dies, there's no moon and there's no starlight and I'm in the woods, I'm literally going to have to camp wherever I land. Like there's no middle ground because I don't have any light source to show me anything. Like I'm literally going to have to, when my phone dies- You're going to come to a dead stop. Dead stop. Yeah. <laughs> so and I have this realization, my phone then dies and I'm like, well, at least from what it seems like, I'm on a really nice piece of trail. And then I look at my phone and it's like, there's 1% left and then my phone's still on. And I realize the iPhones have an automatic flashlight disable feature at both 1% and 
So there were two times when my phone goes off and I thought I'm sleeping where I'm at, but I get another, you know, 20, 30 minutes of running on that one and last 2%. And at that point I'm just flying because I can like feel, you know, feel the finish. I'm still pretty far away, but every second that I get is going to get me closer to that finish line. All of a sudden it stops and I look around me and I'm literally just in the middle of this lake and I'm on this sketchy boardwalk that's about 200 feet long and I'm smack dab in the middle of it. And the boardwalk are two rotting, you know, two by four pieces of wood that have been put next to each other. And it's so dark that I can't even use the starlight to see where the boardwalk is. And the only thing I have left is 4% on my, on my watch. So I use, I navigate by my watch or sorry, not my watch, my, uh, my GoPro. I use the back led of my GoPro and turn it on and record in order to see where the drop-off spots for the planks are and have to navigate by GoPro led for about a hundred feet to be able to get to solid ground, uh, to pass out at about two thirty AM. Oh, Okay, so, so I take back everything I said about uh, you being a perfect guide for Andrew Skirky Adventures. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's instilling a lot of confidence in, in people, I'm sure. Right, right. So we, we're uh, not putting this on your bio on uh, the guide page of Andrew Skirko Adventures, but it does go on fastestknowntime.com. So if people want to get the more of the scoop here, just go to the description that you wrote on our website. But Joe, that was just crazy. That's bringing it down to the wire. I bet you thought not only a second saw your filter would have been helpful, but you probably thought that a Petzl E-Lite, which weighs like one ounce, might have been helpful too. Would have definitely helped me out in a pinch. And, and the bad part about it too is I, I, which I failed to mention, I guess, is my headlamp actually turned on. Uh, there's an auto lock feature, which I just didn't even think about, but I sleep with my headlamp right next to me so that it stays warm so that it gets exposed to less cold temperatures. And in my sleep, I actually turned on my headlamp, which drained a few hours of battery, which was sort of the difference there between night and day, literally uh, finish. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, this is, this is serious. You got it done. You came in one day under legends time. That's wow. That's, this is startling, but going back to this weight, you know, the Sawyer extra filter, the uh, extra battery or extra headlamp. Do you saw your toothbrushes in half? I did. I snapped it. So I didn't take a saw to it, but I did snap. Yep. Okay. All right. I cut off, cut off all my uh, tags, clothing tags. Right. And, and you carried 13 ounces of rocks. So this yep. is good. This really got my attention here. We're going to delve into this. And I really want to talk about this, Joe, because I was super impressed. So we just went through this incredible scene. You had this amazing background of the biggest trails. You set a new FKT on the long trail this year. But during this time, you carried 13 rocks and a sodden half, or I should say, a broken half toothbrush. So what's up? Yep. Um, no, it was, a, it was a really important part of the, the journey for me. So the, you know, all the, with all the national protests that were sort of sparked by George Floyd, um, you, it was weird because Katie and I left Boston. The day we left Boston, there was, you know, the first Boston protest um, with, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement and with, um, you know, uh, racial equality and the fight for, for racial equality and justice in the U S really 
sparked and changed. And it felt really weird because we were going to New Hampshire um, and we were just in this kind of remote area of New Hampshire, going on hikes, enjoying life. Meanwhile, you know, there's people getting tear gas. There's, you know, all these acknowledgement of different kind of uh, mistreatments and and really ridiculous, you know, dichotomies of, of people of experience, people's ex- daily experience based on color in our in our society. And it like, and I'm really glad I have I have Katie because she. You, you sort of like need people to talk about these things with. Um, and she, you know, initially uh, took a real lot of interest in all the news that was happening and uh, really educating ourselves on herself on this matter. And um, we just started to talk about it. And the, the more I thought about it, the more it's just kind of like, you know, going off on the white, on the long trail to set an FKT in a lot of ways feels like the ultimate kind of white privilege. Um, and also it's a very white, industry and sport, right? Like if you look at people who've set FKTs, it's very white. Um, if you look at like the outdoor industry, if you look at Vermont as a state, which I thought was really interesting, like Vermont's one of the least diverse states in the US. Um, and it's not something that really gets talked about. People often acknowledge that yes, there aren't a lot of, you know, voices from people of color. There's not a lot of uh, like outdoor leadership um, or role models. Um, they definitely exist, but it's not something that really gets talked about or brought to the forefront that much. Um, and, you know, I, I seriously question, like, is this the right time to do an FKT with everything going on? And the more Katie and I talked about it, and I, you know, I talked with a great friend, Yassine Deboyne, who's, he's been, uh, he was in a New York Times article, which I'd recommend anyone to read. Um, and the more I talked about it, the more I realized it's like, we need to be creating, we need to be taking this movement that's happening, um, you know, it's hopefully changing how uh, people are treated in our cities and also acknowledging that and recognizing that and also celebrating that in our in our trails and in our trailheads. So, um, you know, carrying eight rocks of, you know, names like Am- Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, um, it was really significant to me. I, I wrote their first names on each of the different rocks um, and, and do recognize there's a lot more than eight people that that you know have have been killed from police or, or civilian brutalities, but um, hopefully it does a little bit in acknowledging and also bringing light to the fact that our outdoor spaces need to be inclusive. And you know, for me, the the long trail FKTs, like I talked a lot about how hard it is on this podcast, but like honestly, Buzz, like I'm having a blast out there. Like it's a place where I go to to celebrate, to have joy, to experience joy, to experience healing. I love our outdoors and. Um, you know, my entire hike, I saw one, one African-American person and they were just a day hiker, uh, which to me, you know, even recognized a little bit further that this kind of, uh, you know, this accessibility to our outdoors needs to be, needs to be fought for and needs to, ha- needs to have a voice. And I shouldn't be the, you know, the voice that people are listening to or looking up to, but I, I want to help create that conversation and create that movement. Cause you know, frankly, I've had people who've reached out to me and just, and bluntly say like, can't we just keep it to hiking? Can't we just keep it to running? Um, like, you know, people aren't racist in the outdoors. What are you talking about? This is, this is a ridiculous topic to even consider. And I think that's part of the conversation that needs to happen. In addition to, you know, myself and other people needing to, to educate continue to educate themselves and to listen and the rocks to me, you know, is the ultimate form of, of a weight penalty of the ultimate thing that I spend hours trying to, trying to fine tune, um, which ultimately, you know, for me is, is the, 
easiest and, and one of the most powerful ways I can recognize some of those challenges and difficulties and acknowledge that through what I'm doing. Extremely impressive. I think that's amazing. So you snap your toothbrush in your half and yet carried 13 and a half ounces of rocks, eight rocks painted with the names of black people who were killed by police. And I, I like what you wrote as a reminder that we all must bear this weight. And you did that literally. I think that's, uh, I'm impressed. I think that's fantastic. You started a fundraiser for Outdoor Afro. What's the number or how much money have you raised so far now? We're getting close to 8,000, which is really cool. So you can uh, donate through outdoorafro.com or through a Facebook fundraiser. Maybe you could link to that, Buzz. Would that be oh, okay? yeah. We're, we're going to do okay. that. <laughs> so <laughs> listeners should definitely go to the show notes because we're going to have a link to uh, this 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 project that Joe has started. He's up to $8,000 of donations. So we should get that over 10, just the folks listening to this right now. So yeah. that's fantastic. We're going to have a photo of these rocks that you took with everybody's these eight peoples. These are just people. I mean, they, and they just were killed. Like you said, you're out there hanging it out on the long trail, but that's a lot more fun than getting shot. So I think this is a perfect thing to, to roll in. It's all part of it. And something that came to me, Joe, and you're writing in this, I think is very right on. We're not experts. We're not authorities. We don't really know that much. We're just saying, hey, this is something to look at. And something you said really impressed me, which is when the people who do not think they are affected start saying, this must stop, that's when change happens. So if you leave it up to someone else, change is going to be difficult. So I think this is something that we all should take part in. Yeah, I think that's a great message, Buzz. Well, it's your message. So. <laughs> our message. Our message, yeah. Well, no, okay. I mean, the, the other thing, too, that I didn't mention, so Outdoor Afro, what I particularly like about them, and a little bit, a quick plug on them, is they basically help organize uh, uh, events and workshops and community to help inspire and uh, educate um, specifically uh, people, you know, black people, African Americans to try to uh, inspire them to be in the outdoors. So they have things like hashtag um, Black Birder Week for people who enjoy, you know, bird watching. Um, they have meetups. They have educational events. And when you think about, you know, accessibility to the outdoors, that's really that's for me. In thinking about this a lot, you know, what I what I hope continues to to move forward is is the outdoors can be intimidating and it can be scary. And you know, I don't. When I'm doing the long trail, I don't ever worry about someone making a racist comment or someone who might be carrying a, gu a gun and could be threatening. Um, and so we all need to kind of work and be and be vig vigilant and realize that you know even even our outdoor spaces are affected by you know the systemic uh, racism um, that has existed in the U.S. and and creates different realities for different people. Everyone needs to go to the written show notes, get links to Joe's site, read his trip report, which is really good, and definitely look at the link we're going to provide for Outdoor Afro because we want to get this number over $10,000. That's easy. We should easily be able to do that. Uh, join, oh, I should note that just a few days ago, two days ago, Colt, uh, Corey Waltering set a new FKT in the Ice Age Trail. Oh, he finished. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it was. He came down to the wires at two. <laughs> he was working at it at the end, but he got it done, and it was interesting because you know he's a fast guy. He's not. He's kind of the opposite of you. If you don't mind me saying that, you know, he's. I forgot so his. You <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying his marathon PR is significantly faster than yours or mine. This is. <laughs> Put it that way. So uh, I hope you get him on the podcast and you can look that up on the uh, website as well. But we'll wind up with you, as we always do. What's next? Here you are, this uh, 29 years old, moved back to your hometown of Seattle, lovely wife. What, what are you going to do next? We will see, Buzz. A tough, tough, tall order. My initial goal with this summer was uh, I actually was – really trying to nail down uh, specifics on the JMT. So um, that has kind of changed a little bit with everything going on, but that is where my, my gaze has, uh, has continued to go back to. Um, so I'm hoping there might be, especially with UTMB being canceled, I'm hoping there might be a, a little second magic this summer, but uh, you know, it depends on how I recover and it depends on, on my schedule. And at the end of the day, it's the trail. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly something I'm, I'm hoping to, to put my hat into the ring for. Ah, well, that's a good heads up. We might be talking with you again. <laughs> Potentially, or I might be, uh, you know, sideways in the ditch vomiting after, after a miserable day and a half, uh, where I go too hard. <laughs> Who knows? But that's, you know, that's part of the fun. <laughs> part of the fun. Type two fun sometimes. As always, a delight talking with you. You're an inspiration in many different ways. Thank you very much. Thank you, Buzz. Thanks for having me on.